you can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. This was commercially released 10 years ago. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via a mesh network. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. I'm back in the office. I've gotten quite used to this setup, and I, I value it, so I'm glad to be back here. I'm glad to be back in some consistent uh, work here, ultimately, because I've, I've Got the mindset, don't want to shoot myself in the foot, who knows what happens in life, but I've got the mindset that I'm going to really up my output this this next month, but this next week in general. So a lot coming your way. Tomorrow I plan on having Robert join me to get into a lot of foreign policy conversation, a lot of which I was going to get into tonight, but I, I, I took, I want to make a comment about this in general today, that this is the way that I conduct this show. And I know that this is what, some people don't like, but I think are I I believe strongly why we've developed the following we have in regard to my show and and T Lab in general that I trust my gut, I, which you know which includes what you guys show me, what you think, what you feel is important, what you think isn't important, and I ultimately combine that with what I see and what I think is going on, and I trust what my instincts tell me, and I think my work stands for itself. It speaks for itself. That's uh, the decade plus of really consistent work being largely as Charlie Robinson often gives me credit or us and our team credit for being ahead of the curve. So today in general, I had a lot lined up, you know, the re more developments in Yemen and, you know, a lot of the different things happening. And I, I just, for some reason, and as you guys can tell long, long time now, this has been something that I'm very concerned about many different pieces of this same kind of conversation in regard today about smart dust and the overlap with COVID-19. But there's just something about this right now that I can't seem to shake about what is currently going on. And so I just wanted to do another focus on this. And every time I do, there's a lot of new information. I haven't even done this show as it is. It's, it's, an, adapta uh, uh, it's a, in addition to the different shows we've done around this very topic, nanotechnology, smart dust, the use of it, how it affects your life, how it is already being used and what the next steps are and so on. And it's, it's an alarming discussion because it, it, look, it doesn't even have to be about some surreptitious secret plan. And I very much think that there is part of that always seems to be when it comes to governments and military. But it's about just the concept itself, what it is, and, and how anything like this can always be used in a dual-use type of way. It can be used to help people, or it can be used to nefariously spy on people or manipulate your brain processes or actually manipulate how you think, act, and feel on a regular basis. Now, are, are we to believe that there are people in power in the U.S. that wouldn't be licking their lips about using something like that against these dangerous MAGA people or these crazy people on the left? Or how about just using a foreign government? Our government just literally called out crisis actors and false flags as long as you aim it at Russia. 
to the point being that it's kind of incredible to me that we don't, as a general population, acknowledge that at the very least somebody is potentially going to use it or already using this stuff in a way that would give you nightmares. Why isn't this conversation being had on a very large scale? That in and of itself is what makes me so worried about this. That typically, the lack of conversation is a big red flag, especially when it comes to your con- our government in the United States that would be screaming about this if they thought another country was the one championing where this is going. So that's where I feel this is so alarming. So let's get into this topic in general. As the title goes over, I mean, and this the secondary part of the title today is, you know, my mindset here. We're going to talk about the real, that all of this, as I just said the other day in the last show, everything we'll talk about today, literally everything is sourced and provable and has been studied and worked on and, and is applicable today. Real world peer reviewed science, real world application of this technology, and it's the in between pieces that we're going to discuss. But it's all factual information. And then my my question, theorizing in this is, you know, whatever happened during COVID nineteen, and I'm pretty sure, you know, the the as I always say now, the the illusion therein that everybody, including the ones that were tricked into taking multiple shots, who now weirdly don't want anymore, but don't sell tell everybody else that they were wrong. We all see that something went afoul there. What happened? We're all disputing and debating about origins and what it was and whether it was real or not. You know, or it's good. We should be debating these things. But I think everybody senses that there was something wrong there. My question is whether that was, first of all, an experiment, which I think is quite obvious. And was it an, exp- an attempted next step in what we're going to start with today? And it very well could be everything else you think it is and that. So don't think about it as one binary or one singular thing. It's obviously more than that. So let's start today with obviously where we left off, right? We just talked about this in the last show entitled internet of bio nano things is upon us. And this is the the really crazy. This is where this all stems back to this image in particular right here that I use where it shows you the idea of what this really means. Now, obviously, they're discussing, first of all, for those that may not know, the Internet of Things is where we are, which is the discussion of the Internet being connected with objects like your refrigerator and your TV and your phone, right? That's, you know, it's happening and most people who want it or not, it's already in their lives. Now, the next step, obviously, is in regard to, and there's different levels, and it's hard to say what you think is or isn't the exact next step or one of the next steps because they're seemingly kind of meshing, if you will. We're going to get into that today as well is the internet of nano things, which is already here, which, which is my point, the kind of the kind of overlap. And that's about the idea of using nanotechnology, much of which people, the average person isn't even aware we have long past. And I mean, in the sense that they've, we're going to, I'm going to show you some of the earliest examples of, of smart dust. Like I already have in this clip, but going back to like an government and corporate connected concept that goes back like 20 years where they're utilizing this stuff already. So it's hard to believe that it's not already actively in our lives, right? So the point is the internet of nano things and the smart dust level, even just nanotechnology level, there's people that still don't even realize we're long past that step. So this is the idea of utilizing things that are nano-sized, but yet are still technologically connected enough to be able to relay information and, you know, make your life more convenient or however it's sold. That is already here. The internet of bio nano things. Which again, all of these are being publicly discussed, even by groups like the World Economic Forum. These are these are not conspiracy theories. 
Internet of bio nano things is exactly what it sounds like. The combination. Let's not forget what Klaus Schwab has been telling you. The fourth industrial revolution. Read right now because that's what he tells you. That's what we're in. What that means. The intersection, the crossing, the com combination of your digital, your biological, and all that. And, and there's a, you know multiple examples. I think one of this, uh, anyway. I don't want to misquote it, but the point of your your biological and your technological lives combining. Now that seems as simple as implantables, wearables. That's how they want you to think about it. And this is my whole point. Why would that be what you're sold? Well, they are 45 steps ahead of that in regard to having nanotechnology already circulating potentially, and in some cases in the world already happening internally that then can connect with the internet. This is real stuff. Now, my question is not whether that's real. It is. We can prove it. The science is there. They've worked on it. I can show you 20 years ago where this stuff is active. My question is whether that has already been used on a population level scale, whether nationally, worldwide, or not. And then again, whether or not whatever took place during COVID-19 with the injections, the blood-brain barrier, was another experimental step to take that further. I want to get into the idea of meshing, which I've talked about for a long time. I've been developing my mindset on this for a while. And this really today brings a lot of this together. The idea of meshing and how the whether it's about mapping the human brain to achieve some kind of sentient AI that they're failing to do or to achieve, or it's really about the relaying of internal biosurveillance and potentially in another in, in the, the opposite direction, controlling what you think, feel, and even do. All, or all of that simultaneously, again, and all of those little concepts are real, real-time work right up until 2020, last year, even to right now, with people like Charles Lieber involved with internal brain stitching and relaying information, even from your eyes and so on. That sound, all of this sounds so crazy to somebody who just uh, it makes them uncomfortable, doesn't want to hear it. It's all scientifically backed. These are people working with the government in places like DARPA. So all of that being said, we're going to go over all of that and show you how I think this connects, and then also tie it together with a story that may very well be completely unconnected, but I still find relevant, and I'll show you why I think it just may be either what that it, something like this happening or could be, and just want you to think of this as these opportunities where we already know they've used things they don't tell you about, whether that's in injections and spraying and experimental deployments of things over San Francisco Bay, a la Operation Sea Spray, which is a real thing where they tested biological material, you know, agents on people without them knowing. And this gets into the malaria conversation, which we've gone over a few times, but yet again, it is rising up. Okay, long opening. So let's, coming off of this show, I want to start with this clip. This is from a group called Dustworks. Clearly not that large, at least on Twitter, right? But this is a, a company. Inter, inter, kind of intermingling with groups like DARPA and the government and working on exactly what this sounds like. Smart Dust Networks. And it says, and this is what's interesting, all the way back, and this is 12 years ago, so 2012, helping build smart cities of the future. So it also overlaps in an interesting way with the direction of the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and the smart cities and smart homes and smart cars. And well, this apparently is a very integral part of that. But interestingly, 12 years ago, acting like this was going to bring it all together, and we're not even talking about that today. It's interesting. Or, you know, or, or are we? We don't realize it. Or is it a part that's actively being used? So let's start with this. And here's their actual channel. I'll make some points about this in a second. Leader in the wireless sensor network. Now, this is, and I'll show you more as we go through it, literally. I'll go right to their websites and how it's evolved because you can't find it anymore. You have to use the Wayback Machine. This is Smart Dust. 
They're talking about smart dust, tiny size flecks that you can barely see, if not not if, if today, can't see it all, that are com- that have com- computational power that can relay information, and that and they were arguing where it's going to be the future of what they're telling you they're building or already have built right now for your great reset reimagining of our world. Buildings suspended in the sky are an intelligent use of future real estate. But in the future, every square inch of every city will be alive with intelligence. 2012. Because every street and every building will have a network of microcomputers built right into them. Dr. Chris Peaster calls it smart dust. Now, you can see the size of that. Look, you know, obviously a bunch of sand you'd be able to see too, or a bunch of dust in your hand. But that's much larger than I, I argue was even then what they were using, but get provably smaller today. But again, I'll show you what, like the clip I opened with, which I'll play again in a second coming from the, the uh, maker con. They were showing you that from the, the original DARPA chip. And that was, it's tiny. And I, the image I used on the one today, a little smaller one shows you the Mew chip, which was comparably next to a, a strand of hair, which is ridiculous, tinier than what's in his hand right there. And that goes, that, that dates before this video. So it's interesting that even then they chose to use something that is not representative of what they currently were, which we can prove, but also that that's, it's, that the, 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 it was tinier than that even then. And we've gone over this many times. And I'll, I'll come back to it. Easter calls it smart because every street and every building will have a network of microcomputers built right into them. Dr. Chris Peaster calls it smart dust. A smart dust particle or moat is a wireless sensor with sensing, computation, communication, and power in one package. These all-in-one microcomputers will be small, very small. The size of a moat today is about the size of a grain of rice. Again, 2012, provably smaller than that. But maybe he's, you know, let's just always make it about a lie. Maybe that's what he's working on. Right, but none. Of the point is, the current, the level of the DARPA level work was way smaller than that. I think going back to what was the date we put it out last time, it was. I'll, I'll make that point again. I'll bring up the actual video. And we've shown that we can make the circuitry small enough and light enough that eventually it will be possible to make things that are on a sub-millimeter size scale. Tiny specks of computer smart dust will form a vast invisible network that can help manage the infrastructure of even the largest city. Smart cities in the future will take this low power, inexpensive, small technology and basically distribute it every see for the podcast, it shows him sprinkling this around in the open field, like just really grasp what they're talking about. Not some like carefully placed electronic on the wall, electronics on the wall, like you're used to seeing something in an office. We're talking about deploying dust into the air around your building, which then gets placed and used. And I mean, that's what they're talking about. And obviously I'm sure there's applications of it to where you'd want to apply it to a wall or something. But the point is it is about stuff that is circulating, that you're breathing in. This is the reality. I just don't want people to miss this. And I'm, I'm I overlap this with the work that we can prove from DARPA and everyone else. How is it possible? This is not already being used today. Everywhere. These tiny computers record information about their surroundings, information they can send to other computers or to you. Right. Smart dust on the tracks will monitor your commuter train so you know if it's running late. Potholes will be able to report themselves and warn your car. And you'll never have to wait for a radio traffic report again. They're monitoring the flow of traffic and giving you alerts about what route is the, the right way to go to keep the traffic moving. 
Bridges will get a coating of smart dust particles that can warn us when they detect stress fractures, helping avoid deadly collapses. But smart dust will also allow buildings and streets to recognize you and respond accordingly. I think increasingly, the environment will respond to who we are and adapt in consequence. The city will know where you are if you want it to. Your workplace will know you. Smart dust at the entrance will boot up your computer. And smart dust embedded in the elevator doors will automatically ring your floor. Smart dust is going to sense the environment and allow us to improve the way that we live our lives. Right. So the point here in this old video is, is already showing you what the, the plan, the mindset, at the time already usable, already actionable in for our technology. And just thinking about what that, of course, all the things they use it to show you, you know, will help this, will aid in that, will make this more convenient. And it's it's simple as reversing the mindset, right? Just like all of this stuff. Of course, if it can be used to do all of that, it can also be used to shut you out of all of that. It can also be, and this is where they get into the level of you're a hype, you know, a conspiracy theorist and you're, but why exactly? I'm not saying I believe that is going to be what happens. I, I just is simply one of the obvious possibilities. It's weird how being a conspiracy theorist in the mind of these people is, is by not acknowledging, or rather is simply by acknowledging a possibility. But for them to be sane is by is for them to simply ignore real possibilities because you were told by authority that it's not the right thing to think. And we're the crazy ones, right? I mean, obviously there are people that they term conspiracy theories that are ridiculous, that, that assume things all over the place, but it's no more ridiculous than what they're doing at the same time, right? There's these, I think, majority of people that are on the side that we're on where we're willing to consider all possibilities, and yet we still question and engage with legitimate criticism of all possibilities, right? It's, it's, but those are the ones they're most afraid of, and I think that's the obvious point. Now, here, this is the video I opened with, and I'll, I'll include this again. This is from nine years ago, and in the video, he says this was, what, 10 years. So ultimately, 20 years ago is what you're looking at here. This is the mute. That is one grain of salt, one grain of salt, and that's the mu chip. And then he also talks about this one, which he says is the earliest version of the DARPA chip, which is what starts all of this, as always. And these things run on your own body's energy and so on, right? The, the, the whole point is about mesh, mesh network. And maybe I'll just play that quick clip again, just in case that we didn't see it when we, when we opened. And this is just, make sure you watch this whole video. It's, it's very, worth, very much worth your time. It's only 20 seconds. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. This was commercially released 10 years ago. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via mesh network. The part is something I really want to get into deeper today, and that's one of the focal points of the first part of this. Right is is this idea of the meshing of the of of the like, so hypothetically you've got nanotechnology in your body that you maybe don't know is there, and that is not only relaying information but it's meshing with the other nanotechnology in your environment. So this is this immediate deployed information. Think of it like a computer system. That's what they are building. That's what the dust network is. That's what this is about. They're talking about dust networks. That's what it's all about. Now, so this is at the earliest stages of this. This is what the, these were the plans. I argue they've simply got to a technological possibility or capability where this is in real time possible. 
And yet we don't even talk about this stuff anymore, which again is usually a red flag for me. So what again, and this, when he says 10 years ago, it was a nine-year-old video. So that goes back to, you know, 20 years ago, almost. Now in this dust networks, there's a couple different videos you can watch. I think they're all important. And it's, you know, talking about just different variations of the same kind of thing, but I wanted to include it for you, but I wanted to, oh, by the way, I was grabbing the image. I thought this was funny. Just for those of you out there that still ridiculously think that fact checkers are, are anything but narrative controllers, like here, that maybe this will just in case you don't think this is real. Is this a picture of the Hitachi smart dust, which is what he's talking about, right? Sides of hair and they are true. <laughs> Shouldn't be true because ridiculous Snopes tells you that it is because it's easy to prove, but nonetheless, I thought that was funny. Now this looking into this platform you can't find it anymore because it's either you know changed the names changed been bought by new people but what i always honestly tend to notice about these kind of in military intelligence sort of darpa aligned tech groups like i've I've gone through groups like people like lieber and langer we've talked about over the years and i'll get into more in a second they seem to weirdly evolve in like every so many years, the new new team, new name, and, and, and you look back and you can't find any old information except today we use the Wayback Machine kind of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening. I, what, maybe this is just that they grew and changed and changed their names, but it's, all, it's still do, it's doing the same thing, even though the names have changed. So this is 2005, Dust Networks, just showing you what it look, looks like all the way back in 2005. Same exact thing, mesh, smart mesh. And, they, and again, if we're talking about 12 years ago, 2012, discussing the idea of smart dust, the tiny, the smart dust used to build smart cities of the future. Okay. So, and now we're in, in, well, this is before that, obviously we'll show you, I mean, we get past it, but 2005, they're, they're talking about the same stuff, dust networks, talking about smart mesh systems, dust, dust, smart nest tech, excuse me, dust, smart mesh technology, but let's go forward. So this, this is. Oh, I'll talk about this afterward then. Here, this is 2011. So one year before that video, Dust Networks. Still the same name, but here's what it says. The wireless heart compliant version, there's two different versions they have, enables industrial OEM solutions. And it says this version is expanding the reach of the WSN solutions into markets such as the smart grid, smart cities, smart buildings. Now in 2011, or 10, were we even talking about this stuff? Not like this. So it's strange that this is, so this, I always see foreknowledge in this stuff, that they are, they're well aware of what they're building towards, and you're just allowed, you're just included at some point. And it says, and includes diverse applications ranging from data center thermal management to solar field monitoring and management. If you, and it just basically is to own, and this was October 7th, 2010, Dust Networks, named to 2010 list of 100. And my point is simply to show you that they're, Going back as far as 2005, you can show that they're already working on not just smart dust, but actual meshing and networking of the smart dust in your environment. We're in 2024 here. We have to realize that there's no way this is not already being used, in my in my opinion. Now, this is under, you know, about us. Here's what it says. This is in 2010. Dust networks, ultra low power and highly integrated. This is what the same term they use elsewhere. IEEE 802.15.4 SOC technology, low and low power because they've used your body or the atmosphere, the environment's power. That was a big development step. It says delivers the lowest energy consumption in its class and dusts with a capital D. So it's this company pioneering work in time synchronized mesh protocol. 2010 is the basis for the global industrial wireless standard. 
I mean, this is at a time when, I mean, what you tell me in the chat, where were we at 2010 in regard to like wireless computers and that kind of stuff? I'm trying to think of where we were in that time frame. So we're, at this point, they're talking about smart dust enabled mesh protocol for what would take what would be the global industrial wireless standard. So does that mean that we're already all living in a smart dust environment? It's interesting. But it says dust network customers have put wireless to work in applications ranging from energy management to monitoring cargo and transit to regulatory compliance monitoring in a factory. OK, so, OK, if we're if we're talking about dust, smart dust. And we are. That's what this is. And it gets more clear as we go forward. But smart, the dust networks, this is what we're talking about. They just described it for you in the video. Dust networks, same company and everything. So are they literally talking about using this in? Yes. Dust networks customers have put wire, what they're doing in real world applications, energy management, monitoring cargo and transit. How is it possible to do all that if this stuff is not deployed in the environment? Dust Networks are founded, and look, I could be, maybe there's another way. You tell me. Dust Networks was founded in 2002. Interesting timing. In 2002 is when they released the document. The, the, the bio-digital convergence. Isn't that exactly what we're all talking about? This is the talk. We talked about this in, in 2002. They released a document that was discussing how they were going to alter evolution with nanotechnology in 20 years. We've talked about this. James Corbett has covered this. The one, the one from Canada, there's a different version where they discuss the same thing, where they literally talk about changing the species. But of course, if you never heard that, you're going to say, that's crazy, even though they've written it down. They've discussed it publicly in symposiums. So my point is that they're literally saying that that same year is when Dust Networks was founded by a team of dedicated engineers led by industry pioneer, Dr. Chris Pister, who you just heard speak. He envisioned a world of ubiquitous sensing, a world of connected sensors, scattered around like specks of dust or, quote, smart dust, gathering information that had previously been impractical or impossible to acquire. So are we supposed to read this in, in 2002? He's plans and, and, and lays this out. And they're talking about in 2010 that the networks have been used and are being deployed in real time and being used to, to monitor transit and so on. I mean, what am I missing here? It says, gathering it from, uh, and it says, at Dust Networks, the company we're talking about, we are passionate about making this vision a reality. That's what they're doing. And check this out down here. I was unable to get this to load, either through Wayback Machine or not, but it says, from smart dust to smart plants. In 2010. I mean, you see, it's 14 years ago. Or we're gonna, I mean, what are they doing? They already met. These are the things that we don't hear about until it's already being shoved down your throat. Smart plants. Who knows what that actually means? Now, meshing is a huge part of this for me. And this is what I really want to, you can see up here, you know, Internet of Things, network platforms. Like this is what I really am worried about. And this is what I worry about when it comes to the possible experimentation side of this. You know, what was being deployed, what's being given to people? Is there an attempt? Is this an artificial intelligence? And again, hypothetically speaking, this is where we get, I'll make it clear every time I'm doing that. Hypothetically, if what COVID or any other deployment of something was an experiment to see how would, you know, play something out, test a certain technology. Was it, was part of that artificial intelligence side of this, where you're trying to mesh the human brain and relay that biosurveillance information or not just relay it, but literally mesh it alongside other people who have the same application and relay that body of evidence back for them to try to map the human gene. Like this is what they're doing. Now, I don't know whether that is what happened in a real world sense, but this is what they're trying to accomplish in a experimental sense in the labs. So, is it possible they've deployed this in the yes, certainly is. Now, what is a mesh network? 
for those that don't understand this, the simplest way to think about it is, you know, like your routers and, your, and the way your, your internet works in a very simple household way. But it says a mesh network is a network in which devices or nodes, they think of the words they just used, moats or nodes, same thing, smart dust. So what we don't, we don't fail to think about, and I had a really crazy thought today, which is not even the right point in the show to bring it up, but it's on my mind, which ultimately is, we're talking about technology. Right. I've always said in the past, like robots, it's just, it's an old clunky term that I don't think it doesn't even apply to the level we're at today. When you're talking about something the size of a virus, which is what Charles Lieber successfully achieved, which is right here. We'll show you next virus size transistor, literally, or at least, again, all of this is the very least what they're claiming was happening. They, they could be lying, of course. But the point is a mesh network is a network of device in which devices are linked together, branching off other devices or nodes. So, yes, you could think of that like a router your TVs, your phones, or individual pieces or moats of smart dust, right? I mean, it, that is the same concept. So if these individual moats or nodes or tiny pieces of dust that have computing power and relaying information that might be circulating in your body are able to mesh, which is exactly what they're talking about with the networks going back 20 years, then they would be able to effectively mesh what's internally being used in your bodies and use that to better understand whatever they're trying to get at. That's just that, that last part is the, what I would argue, I think is the attempt, but realize the meshing concept can be applied with any device, right? So it says these networks are set up to efficiently route, route data between devices and clients. They help organize organizations, provide a consistent connection throughout a physical space. Now, on top of that, they can also utilize your body's own power to effectively achieve a level of, you know, humanized. I mean, how would you even frame it? This is where you get into the transhumanist side of it, where you're essentially now part of the com computational process. I mean, I, I didn't include it today, but Orwell sent me something about when this has been a long topic about using DNA to store data. And the, the, I guess the concept is like monumentally impossible. Like there's so much space. Like it's it's a theoretically real thing. Or, or, I don't even think theoretically. I think they've te technically already been able to use DNA to store data, which is just like this open. I mean, it's endless, I guess. But the point being, that's another side of it to where suddenly, you know, you are actually a part of it, where this is using your body's energy and this is being used to achieve some kind of mass species level computation. That's crazy. But the part I was thinking about there was a movie like this about where, where there was a person who had developed a surreptitious tech nanotechnology. Oh, I think it was that um, gamer move, show, movie where it had the guy from, from Dexter as the bad guy. Remember they, and the people could basically load into somebody else's body and play them inside of the, the video game, but it's real people shooting and they were prisoners. And if they ultimately win or rather the person playing through their body wins, that person gets to get out essentially. Now the point was at the end of the day in the movie, he created this nanotech to be able to load into those people's bodies, but he was able to effectively control it from his side. Now, my thought, I mean, this is crazy stuff. It's just entertaining to think about, well, scary, is that if that's what we're talking about here, and we're talking about the meshing concept and the biosurveillance and even the level of controlling, it seems highly, it, the, 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 the technological possibility of that being able to be utilized by some kind of centralized place and maybe even a way that we don't even realize whether it's just about changing the way you feel about things like this is, you know, again, the stuff that Pete sounds crazy, but technically theoretically, not even theoretically, technically re in real time is a real thing. Now it says mesh network topology uh, topologies create multiple routes for information to travel among connected nodes. 
This approach increases the resilience of the network in case of a node or connection failure. Larger mesh networks may include multiple routers, switches, and other devices, which operate as nodes. A mesh network can include hundreds of wireless mesh nodes, which allow it to span a large area. Yeah, large as possible. Yeah, Ready Player One. Thank you in the chat. Now, it says full mesh versus partial. This is a full mesh network. Each node is connected directly to all of the nodes. In a partial mesh, mesh topology, only some nodes connect directly to one another. In some cases, a node must go through another node to reach a third node. Point being, if it's all interconnected, it's the most, you know, it has the most power. The, con the connections in either full or partial network can be wired, wireless, or wireless mesh networks, which is the point. The decision to use a full or partial mesh depends on factors like overall traffic pattern. There was one of the part in this. Nearly all networks appear to be full mesh networks because everyone on the network can connect with everyone else. This full connectivity is a, is a property of the network protocols, not the topology. Any network can appear fully meshed at a logical level if the data can be routed between each of its users. Yes, yeah, how does it work? Ultimately, nodes in a network are programmed with software that tells the node how to handle information and interact with the network. Mesh networks are routing or flooding techniques to send messages I think there was one of the part that I just, I don't want to have to waste time searching for it. Anyway, I mean, already, you, I hope you just understand what we're talking about here. I think it's quite clear, but for those that don't already know this level of technology and your, and, you know, your routers and so on, it simply is a way to utilize, you know, really your passive brain power, if you think of it like that. Or, but again, mesh networks can be used for monitoring, control, medical security. I mean, and this is for devices we're talking about, but let's get into the side of this that I think is in real time. So I, both in this section and the malaria part of it, I want, I've thought about the two ways to do this, like aligning the information as I often do where they're the most relevant and it seems that they connect more, or in this case, I'm going to go through today. I've gone over some of this before. We're going to go through in a chronological time frame. So I want you to see this as it developed. And I think that's important. So start, this is in 2011, January, February. This was Harvard Magazine. You've seen this many times from me where Charles Lieber created virus-sized transistors. Professor of chemistry Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires to create a transistor so small that it can be used to enter and probe cells. So think about how small we're talking about there. Not, not a piece of rice, not a piece of dust. We're talking about the size of a cell in your body that they can actively control. I mean, guys, that, that it's amazing to me that we still talk about these things and the sizes they pretend when, I mean, that this is, this is, and this utilizes and overlaps that I've shown many times with the larger conversation of COVID-19. It says these switches could be used to enable two-way communication. Can This nanoscale device can actually communicate with a living organism. Now it's saying that basically there's a two main, three main parts in this. And he was saying that they used the, the engineer, oh, this right here. They used the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, which that's the, that's the same tech, that, you know, technique used with the COVID-19 injection. And this, as if so many times overlaps with Robert Langer's work, which we'll get into in a second. And it's saying it indicates when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, it can behave the way biological structures do. So as I've said many times about this, you know, this is something that could have been utilized to achieve an end, like whatever you think COVID-19 was. 
That, 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 like I've said before, though, that doesn't necessarily mean this is a virus or even is acting like a virus. It's simply just a transistor that is as small as a virus. But the point is they can utilize it however they want, or rather in the sense that it can achieve certain things inside your body. Not They can't do literally anything that I, that I know of. But my point is that this, why we don't ask whether this could have been something that has been used like that. And I, there was, you know, other things that were highlighted, but allow this part was simply saying when scaled down, the difference between digital and living systems blurs so that you have an opportunity to do things that sound like science fiction. So 2011 virus sized transistors, right? This video was in 2012. Okay. So if 2011, they already had made something that was the size of a virus with the type of technology that can relay two way communication. Let's pretend like they wouldn't have already taken these steps, right? I find that really hard to believe. But you guys can decide for yourselves. Now, going past 2010, here is the company. It was Dust Networks in 2010. And in 2013, it becomes Linear Technologies. Same work. Still called Dust Networks. It says, Dust Networks, a pioneer in the field. Now, I, I didn't do any deep background on, like, the, which I probably will in the future, about why this was bought or why they changed their name. It's probably just a company that bought it or a larger company absorbed it. It's still being called Dust Networks at the technology level. A pioneer in the field of wireless sensor networking is defining the way to connect smart devices. Now, by the way, the reason I know it's the same, it's the same link. And if you do the way, if you look at the current link, it redirects to this. If you go to the Wayback Machine, most of them redirect forward. You can just kind of see the time difference but the way to connect smart devices. So yeah, it could mean a phone or it could mean individual motes of smart dust that can connect because they're all, and again, in a deck less or more than, what was it? I'm trying to think of the time. Anyway, like five, six years before this, they were, that's when the DARPA thing was happening. Working with smart, with dust networks, wireless sensing applications can be deployed anywhere data can be gleaned. Important. Smart mesh, wireless heart, which we pointed out earlier, products are designed for, and this is what I think is interesting. So there's two kinds. There's the smart mesh IP, which is built for IP compatibility, which seems like the common use. Then it says we have smart, they have smart mesh, wireless heart, which are designed for the harshest industrial environments, which is interesting to me. How, how do you read that? What is the harshest industrial environment where it says where low power, reliability, resilience, and scalability are key? making them well-suited for general industrial applications as well as wireless heart-specific design. Are they talking about in the middle of hot, you know, uh, factories? Or are we talking about some kind of deployable overseas in the middle of a desert kind of a usable technology? Like, I think you know where this, I mean, these were designed and started with DARPA. This is a military tech and it's always in the mind of military technology for, app, for not defense, for act for attacking I'll, I'll get into that probably tomorrow about the absurdity of even our own government continuing to act like what they did in yemen was defensive there is no such thing as a defensive attack it's ridiculous you can call it you can say you're attacking in response to that and still call it a, a legal action but it's not defense when you're attacking and this, oh, unless you're attacking to defend their attack in real time in any case the point in this is that i think what they're discussing the harshest industrial environments I think that's more about how this can be used with zero power in the middle of somewhere like a desert, right? But it says making them, because the point is they're utilizing your body's technology or your body's energy, making them well-suited for general industrial applications. And it says offers the lowest power consumption in its class is the most widely used product available. So going forward, this is what it goes to today. It's now called analog devices. 
and it says, and this is all the same link. Now, this doesn't even doesn't even seem to discuss the same names, smart dust technologies, and all of that, but it is literally just the further direction of the same work. Now, it's called smart mesh, and I think that's really important because that's what it's really about about meshing this technology. Wireless sensor networking products are chips and pre-certified PCB modules complete with mesh networking software, enabling sensors to communicate in tough industrial Internet of Things environments. You know, smart smart mesh networking, dust cloud community. And here it says smart mesh products are field proven. Now, how exactly would that be? Because they're being used. And if smart dust is being deployed in the environment, well, I don't see how you cap that in unless you're inside of a lab or inside of a controlled environment. If you're using it, as they told you 10 years ago, to track cargo, clearly this is in the world. Now, does that mean it's being sprayed somehow? Or is it being applied in the area? Is it being embedded in the things you're using them in? The point is, if it's field proven, this is in the real world. With thousands of customer networks deployed in 120 countries, well, there you go. Thousands of networks deployed in 120 countries using smart mesh, smart dust technology. And it says by delivering 99.99% data reliability in tough RF environments, smart mesh wireless mesh networks are entrusted by industrial Internet of Things solution providers to deliver critical sensor and control data reliability. Down here it says, for example, the ID, the ADI's semiconductor water wafer facility, of course, a semiconductor in Silicon Valley installed a smart mesh IP wireless sensor network to streamline manufacturing operations. The point in this first part is just to show you this is real world, already applied, likely ubiquitous technology. And just in case you're, I mean, this, I, I, the video we played in the beginning was from 2012 and they clearly were discussing smart dust. So that's what this is. And here's just the video or rather a, a graphic from the same account for the same company showing you just a quick little graphic and what they're talking about. Now, look, they're showing you little moats. Each one of these tiny little moats are smart dust. That's what this is. And they're showing you how they're applied in different ways. And they all can work this way. And how that then meshes these things together. That's what this is really about. All this included, and you guys can look for yourself. Now, let's get into the time frame going forward. So 2011, virus-sized transistors. 2013. Now, even before this, they were floating stuff like this, but this is from MIT. Smart dust could spy on your brain. 2013. And it says intelligent dust particles embedded in the brain could form an entirely new form of brain machine interface. Isn't that what Elon Musk pretends he's doing with wires and jammed in your Well, that they're way past that. In any sense, the point is that it's clear they want some kind of interface. And what they're discussing is embedding technology, smart dust, moats in your brain to be able to interface with machines. Now, the point here is how does that happen, right? How in the world, how do they get it into your brain? Well, guess what? They've been working on that for a long time as well. First, this says their idea is to sprinkle. I love how they just use that term, like you can just sprinkle things into your brain, right? But that's that's what they, I think it's important that they, I think they made a point to not get into, wow, because they're not going to, well, I'll wait. The point is injection is one of these possibilities. I'll discuss throughout the show today, there's a part about how they've already 
effectively found out how to utilize the technology to get this in and in, in your body, breathe it in, however, and then use the technology to maneuver it to the place they want it to go. Now, remember, uh, Pilevsky talking about the blood brain barrier and the nanotech and going to your brain. Like that's just, that could be the way that naturally works or that could be by design. And the point is they've already figured out how to make that happen. Now it says their idea is to sprinkle electronic sensors, the size of dust particles into the cortex and to interrogate them remotely using ultrasound. Now we've talked about these, right? The optogenetics, the magnetogenetics. These are the different versions what, using light, using magnet, mag, magnets or the radiogenetics. I think that's what it was, radiogenetics, using the radio signals. All different attempts to do the same ultimate thing. And that's what, in this case, they're using ultrasound. The ultrasound also powers this so-called neural dust. Now it says the neural dust is interrogated by another component placed beneath the scale, but powered from outside the body. This generates the ultrasound that powers the neural dust and sensors that listen out for their response. Sort of like an RFID system. What do you know? The system is also tetherless. The data is collected and stored outside the body for later analysis. 2013. Here, 2015. None other than Charles Lieber. Now, for those who don't remember, Charles Lieber was Harvard, the leading person in the world on in nanotechnology. They hear that again. The, the leading person in the world on in, in nanotechnology was arrested just before or right at the beginning of the COVID narrative for that what ultimately was accused of was taking payments from China without without informing the government, even though you really read into it, he seemingly did. But the, the point was like oh, being a spy about treason and arrested at the same time with two foreign nationals who were basically got they were caught with biological material in their sock from Beth Israel Hospital that they were bringing to China. Nothing happened. Miriam and I have talked about this. He ultimately got a slap on the wrist, time served. And, and the most important part, while he was being investigated for treason with China, the government never stopped him from working in the same projects with China. Do you really, I would ever believe that. This is why I'm convinced, as it will touch on the very end today, the point about the whole China lab in California. Come on, when to realize that your government, if is if at the very least, is actively involved with this, with China, with whatever else is going on. We we can't see that by now. You're lost in the two party paradigm. Clearly, they allowed him to continue working with China while the public story was he was a spy working for China. Really? <laughs> so here's the point. In 2015, he's working on a study entitled Injectable Meshes for neural recordings, right? So 2011, virus-sized transistors, 2013, smart dust could spy on your brain. So here he is figuring out a way to use an, a, a syringe to put this stuff in your brain and then be able to relay it back. Now, here's the picture of it, just so you can see it for yourself. Charles Lieber and his team at Harvard have used, they, they have developed flexible meshes that can be injected into biomaterials and tissues and that contain electronics suitable for recording neural activity or other applications, <laughs> whatever else we want to use. You know, I don't know, brain meshing and whatever else we've already talked about. And it is the same because Charles Lieber and Robert Langer are inter inter immersed in this same work. So just realize that is what the discussion is about. Not only just gathering the information, relaying it back, but by but meshing that to further achieve the larger level of technological advancement. 
and, and higher power and more computation, more tracking, more information. It says making the connectivity look more and more like something that is natural. That's what he said about in 2011. The ability to simply inject the electronics further reduces the invasiveness of the tool. Right. Exactly the point. So no wires sticking out of your brain. They can just give you a quick injection. It says Libra has started to perform electrophysiological recordings in the, and I've talked about this many times, in the mouse retina. 2015, injecting this into your body, specifically the brain, but I'll show you what I mean about being able to inject it elsewhere and they have technology to guide it where they want it to go, is this is about bio internal biosurveillance. In a mouse's eye, right? So not just what your heartbeat is doing, but your actual vision. No, so it's just because the injectable electronics are essentially transparent. They do not interfere with vision. Lieber even dreams of recording from multiple sites simultaneously, like the retina and the visual cortex. Guys, that's literally what you're seeing, which should be possible as electronics are so easy to inject. Yeah, they're just, just so simple to inject. Here, understand why that's alarming. 2015. Okay. Here is 2017. This one involves Robert Langer. As you can see his name right there. It says vaccine nanotechnology. Robert Langer, who is the co-founder of Moderna. The present invention provides compositions and systems for delivery of nanocarriers to cells of the immune system. Now, this, of course, could be the, the whole point about somehow specifically only, you know, the point about helping, if you want to see it that way, or hurting or manipulating or controlling the immune system, or it could just be that that's the way this is presented to you. And it's really about a system of delivery for nanotechnology. See my point? So just think of it in a larger scale, but it, it very well could be that the immune system was the whole point. The invention provides vaccine nanocarriers or just nanotechnology capable of stimulating an immune response or doing whatever it's programmed to do. The invention provides ph pharmaceutical compositions comprising inventive vaccine nanocarriers. The present invention provides methods of designing, manufacturing, and using inventive vaccine nanocarriers and pharmaceutical compositions thereof. The invention provides methods of uh, prophylaxis and other treatment of disease and disorders. The point is that this is a deployable technology to deliver nanotech that in this case is applied to an immune system response or something else that is internally through, through an injection is able to achieve a certain end. Here's just the main patent. Again, this is or the same basic post, but this one's the actual patent. You can read for yourself. Provides same thing. The invention provides methods of, uh, you know, vaccine nanocarriers. Now here is 2017. Also, Charles Lieber. Sing syringe injectable mesh electronics integrate seamlessly with minimal chronic immune response in the brain. Now, really the main point for me, syringe, syringe, injectable mesh electronics. So that, that's whatever they want it to be. Here's what it says. Seamless integration of electrical probes within neural tissue could substantially enhance their impact and open up new opportunities in neuroscience research through electronic therapeutics precisely targeted to specific brain regions by syringe injection. It says, we recently reported ultra-flexible open mesh electronics implanted into rodent brains by syringe injection that exhibit promising chronic tissue response and recording stability. 2017. 
could enable a wide range of opportunities for in vivo in your body, chronic recording, and modulation of brain activity in the future. Modulation, control, right? The exertion of a modifying or controlling influence over something. So just hear this. is Even at this stage, they're saying could enable a range of opportunities to control brain activity. That's terrifying. I don't know why we think like that's literally about, and this is where it gets in this, the neuroscience. Well, there's a great clip graveyard graveyard. Um, uh, like on his actual, uh, what is it? He's in the chat here. Graveyard pirate. I think was his, yeah. Graveyard pirate. Good, good man. The one building the small, the, the tiny home. He shared these great clips with me of the person we've shown you before talking about exactly this. And the idea is about controlling the way you feel your emotions the way you think about things, the way you act, even physical controlling when we get into the next part, which is right here. I think that was it in here. This we've already talked about as well. So okay, we're, we're, at, we're at 2017. The overlap of this with Lieber Langer, I mean, it's right on the surface. It's the work they're doing that's been combined into whatever they're giving you as these current shots. But the point is, this was 2017. This is 2017 as well where they're talking about the ferritin aspect of this. So this gets into how they can utilize this technology to apply a ferritin nanoparticle concoction that ultimately allows you to control your movement and what you feel and think and whether you're hungry and whether you and this is real stuff. This is the Rockefeller University. We've shown you the Guardian article talking about the ferritin magneto discussion. Now, I'll include this one because it's more in base specific to what we're talking about today. It says, with new technology, scientists are able to exert wireless control over brain cells of mice with just a push of the button. And yes, this is about ferritin. The logical choice was ferritin, a protein that stores iron in its cells in a balloon-like particles just like a dozen, nanome a dozen nanometers wide. Iron is essential to the cells, but also can be toxic. So it is, a it is sequestered in ferritin particles until it is needed. The point is they use the, whether it's optogenetics, magnetogenetics, radiogenetics, they use it to manipulate these ferritin proteins that can then actively, and this is the point of the article, control what you do. In this study, they, they were able to control what the mice could do. And, and specifically, I've shown you before, there was aspects applied to whether it can achieve, uh, was the, um, what, for diabetics, right? Suddenly your, your, uh, uh, was it glue, um, why am I blanking on the term? Um, your glucose levels, I think they, they shot through the roof if they wanted to, or the point was they could kill you like that. Simple. Or they could help heal people like that. So it's always both ways. My point is, in 2017, they were talking about this in the sense of injectable mesh electronics. And here is an example, using that technology to literally control what these mouse can, what these mice can do. Now, it's important to understand, these are already in the works. The, the lipid nanoparticle. I mean, I should, I should have just grabbed them. I knew I should have. Hold on. I'll just grab at least one of them. A what? Ah, okay, it's got to be down here. Wouldn't, it didn't pop up, of course. I want to just grab the one so you can see it. There we go. Is that it? That these are in real time being used. frustrating i should i knew i should have grabbed it earlier <clears throat> hold on uh son of a gun well the point is there are multiple examples i've shown you 
14 times already, and I just can't find them off the top of my head right now or can't find them in here. They're all linked in here. Where they're, they're, This is what the show is about. The lipid nanoparticle spike protein design and the new mod RNA ferret nanoparticle universal flu injection. Let me just do that. Here we go. Here's one of them. 2022. A ferret nanoparticle influenza vaccine. But they've worked on pan-coronavirus vaccines. They've worked on universal flu vaccines. All using the ferret nanoparticle application. So I just want to be, I want to very real and understand that we're talking about stuff that's in use already. Technology that is in real time, already been deployed, used, studied, and all of this is in action right now. That's terrifying. So going forward, I'll include this for you. So you guys can check this stuff out later and include this one as well. Oh, I think that's already in there. So this is just, let's keep going forward. So we're 2017, 2018. Sort of a side note, but same point, same kind of mindset. Here is the World Economic Forum. Mind control using sound waves. We asked a scientist how it works. So just showing you there's all these different levels of application. This one gets into 2021. The injectable nanosensor that will one day read your thoughts or is already deployed and already happening. Like that's that's the kind of thing I want you to floating this idea it says a new kind of injectable biosensor might one day be able to read your thoughts or let you communicate with nothing but your mind. Now, is that because it hasn't been effectively achieved yet or simply because it hasn't been mass deployed, or at least they're stating that to the population in real time, right? Why, if, if you're saying one day it could do the thing we achieved 10 years ago, why? Is that because you're not using it or because, you know, just think about that for a second. Researchers behind NeuroSwarm 3 say it's gold-plated nanosensors, which are the size of a single viral particle, tiny, could travel through the bloodstream and cross the blood-brain barrier. Right? COVID-19. Nobody can explain why they were testing the way they were. What did you want to find about people's blood-brain blood brain barriers to the point to where you were hurting people? Nobody can explain that, especially since they just shifted into doing saliva. What do you know? Something was, I think that's why I get into the part of this that is what actually happened during all that. And was this a, an attempt to actually achieve this meshing to test it out to see if these things would be deployed? Once inside the brain, they would act like kind of antenna, turning neural activity into optical, sig optical signals that could be wirelessly sent to an external device. Researchers at the University of California, Santa Cruz, believe that in the shorter term, it could help scientists better understand the mysteries of the human con uh, cognition. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Longer-term potential applications sound like the stuff of science fiction. Composing messages with your thoughts, controlling exoskeletons with your mind, the ability to monitor neurological disease, all the great things, or, you know, hurting people, controlling what you do, actually controlling your thoughts. All this is all real-time stuff. They just frame it in a way that's, you know, in a positive light, I guess. I think that was it. One day could read your thoughts. Here is 2022. Wireless activation of targeted brain circuits in less than one second. Now, what this one was interesting. It's about flies. Rice University. Nanoengineers created a wireless technology to remotely activate specific brain circuits. And in this case, they used flies. Could be used on pretty much anything, it seems, to based on the technology. And this is using magnetic signals. I think the interesting overlap with the COVID-19 conversation continues to be entertaining at the very least, seeing as how it was so aggressively dismissed 
and still very well may have been some kind of big mass psyop to make us not look at stuff like this. Either way, there's a very real application of magnogenetics and magnetic signals or even literal magnets. I've gone through this, like using real whole magnets to achieve certain technological ends in this way if there is some kind of nanotechnology side of it. Thing activate targeted neurons that control the body position to study the brain or treat neurological disorders or, you know, whatever they claim is the point. Minimally invasive. Remote control of select neural circuits with magnetic fields is somewhat of a holy grail for neurotechnologies. Our work takes an important step toward that goal because it increases the speed of remote magnetic control, making it closer to the natural speed of the brain, which would mean you wouldn't know what was happening. Robinson said the new technology activates neural circuits about 50 times faster than what they've been demonstrating. It says we made progress because that wasn't the part. The researchers used genetic engineering, of course, to express a special heat sensitive ion channel in neurons that cause flies to partially spread their wings. As you can see the difference right there. The researchers then, of course, injected magnetic nanoparticles. Sounds familiar. That could be heated with an applied magnetic field. An overhead camera watched the flies as they roam freely about, and they ultimately ended up doing what they told them to do. By changing the magnetic field in a special way, specific specific way, the researchers could heat the nanoparticles and activate the neurons. An analysis of video from experiments showed that they ultimately moved their wings the way they were supposed to. They said the ability to activate genetically targeted cells at precise times can be a powerful tool for studying the brain. Yeah, right? With developing direct brain machine communication technology. Of course, short for magnetic optical and acoustic neural access, Moana is funded by DARPA to develop headset technology that we can read, you know, whatever they claim they're doing. Here is 2023. So coming from 2015, where Charles Lieber was working on the same stuff, this is coming to 2023. Thank you to Miriam Hineen for pointing this out. Oh, look, Charles Lieber is already busy at work. April 2023. The point is that actually Miriam pointed out he never stopped. He worked Every, he was working on these things right through when he was supposed to be in jail or being investigated for treason with the same group that they claim he was working with. It's ridiculous. This, though, is called Stitching Flexible Electronics into the Brain. Charles Lieber, April 2023. We report a long, single, flexible probe that can be implanted by stitching into multiple regions of the mouse brain and subsequently transmit chronically stable neural signals from the multiple sites via a single low-mass interface. And yes... We are talking about syringe. They just use a different term up top, which I find interesting, but they're talking about using an injection in the same way. 2015, they were doing this. So this is just the continuation of the same work, all with, with working across the, across the border. Now, I use this image again today because I think it's important, but this is an important show I went over back then just about Charles Lieber, the Charles Lieber connection from nanotechnology to COVID-19 to technocracy. I very strongly believe there's an element of this that overlaps with whatever they're working on. And it dovetails together with COVID-19. So it's hard not to see that. And I wonder what happened there. Here is a discussion with, with Whitney Webb, Robert Langer, who is the, what she coined as the coronavirus common denominator, who has ties to Charles Lieber. It's important. This is an important show we did in 2020. The point is that he is the co-founder of Moderna. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Now, we just talked about this. Internet of bio nano things is upon us. 
right? So we're bringing this to forward into where we currently are with the level of technology and where they're telling you we're at in the world. Despite the fact this goes all the way back as far as you want to look to real-time smart dust technology. So I, again, argue that we're literally at just a point where this is now something that is possible. And I swear that we are watching them test this in real time. I just don't know how it's not a play. If we're talking about 2012, smart dust technologies deployed to use this stuff in real time, and this just gets completely dark for like a decade. No one talks about it. I'm very suspicious about that. Now, we also talked about, just before that show, gain of function's newest brain virus, which I overlapped it with the same point. Why is it all of a sudden specifically brain associated? Why does that make any sense? And it's more gain of function and manipulation. And we also talked about the same point of genetically engineered proteins. The ferritin was a part of it, but simply the idea in the conversation we go into in depth in this was about them genetically engineering specific proteins that can control whatever they want them to. And also a very alarming aspect of utilizing plants. And even this is interesting. This might even go back to the smart plant concept that can make proteins that can then be deployed. And this is the point about it. As long as these end up in your body, they can be actively manipulated from outside your body. Terrifying stuff. Now, I'll include this. It's not exactly connected, but it has a lot of these great points that I make in this, the connective points throughout this process that specifically relates to the COVID-19 injection. As I've said before, this is just the point about uh, MIT, I believe, working on mRNA-loaded lipid nanoparticles that can do they can either help or hurt. And then we, in the same conversation, it's about the fact that they've found a way to aerosolize this. So you can spray this somewhere, see, it's the same overlapping point, and these are the lipid nanoparticles that have mRNA loaded within. A team of researchers use these to non-invasively and selectively trigger cell death or to remove a sickle cell-producing gene. That is what I said is dual-use technology. It's what it looks like. It's a weapon or it can help. All depends on how it is programmed. And let's not forget, this is not regular RNA or even mRNA, which is an organic concept. This is mod RNA. That's what's important. It is a genetically modified organism. N1-methyl pseudouridine modified RNA, which is very important. At least that's what we know. So if it has been manipulated, we should very much ask whether this might in and of itself be one of these kind of things we're discussing, which has been deployed to millions of people around the world. And this is the point about the actual platform itself, the way it's designed, and how that in and of itself is causing these heart problems. But this is about talking about, you know, this is Ralph Barrick, North Carolina University, who worked on a myocarditis-inducing coronavirus and then worked to aerosolize it in the caves in China. Hard to, hard to miss how ridiculously obvious that is. And they go in the same point about how Charles Lieber worked with Robert Langer, is the co-founder of Moderna, and worked on all of this work together. The nanolipid nanoparticle delivery system, the same thing that Charles Lieber effectively achieved in 2011 to make his virus-sized transistor. And of course, that's where I point out that and the overall question of whether this is included. Now, here we get to some really interesting clips. Thank you, Graveyard Pirate, I mentioned before. James Giordano, Giordano, I'm forget, I don't know how he pronounces it. This is from late 2020. Now, we discussed this recently, the neuroscience. Actually, I think I can grab that for you. Huh. How did I title that? I'll look for it while this is playing. 
but some great clips saying just backing up what we were talking about on the, uh, the 16th. I think it was the 15th. It's not a conspiracy theory, right? This, this is the top. This guy is overlapping. He works with NATO, works with DARPA, works with the military. This is a, this guy works with the government on exactly what they're talking. This is exactly what we're talking about. He does not. And that's, I wonder because he's he just openly talks about this, but I don't think this is meant to be mass publication. This is, you know, in special symposiums to government minded people and people in the military and so on. But he talks about neuro weapons, right? Both, both exactly what we're discussing from nanotechnology side, nanoparticles and particulates or, or specifically using viral components or bacterial components, or even just manipulating you mentally using, you know, propaganda. But listen to what he has to say here and how this overlaps with exactly what we're talking about. And clearly what we're saying is that whole of government is not enough. As we've seen evidence in the COVID crisis, it's not just enough to have a coordinated government response. And we can see what happens when we lack that. To be able to manifest preparedness within military intelligence operations for the rising tide of neurocognitive sciences and technologies that are able to facilitate effective naval and military and intelligence leadership and followership, as well as to be able to in some ways affect and militate the conduct of adversaries and competitors, it's going to take a whole of nation approach. Now, does that mean like, like COVID-19, like a mass deployment of something just like that? Right. I mean, that's just, again, hypothetical, but this is what he's discussing is how we effectively achieve that and manipulate. And also forget guys, your government very much sees you as the enemy today. They've made that very clear, whether it's specifically tailored towards MAGA or whatever else, or putting out entire documents about how the battlefield America and how you, you th you're the threat against the control over their government. I mean, and so the point would be they need a massive event like that to be able to achieve this in the way that they have been planning. In sum, what I'm here to tell you is that right now, as we approach 2021, as a neurocognitive scientist who's been functionally working in the field for the past four decades, I can tell you that neuroscience and neurotechnology are not only under consideration, they are contextually being applied in a variety of national intelligence, security, and defense agendas worldwide. Think about that. Now, they are already being applied. And he's saying this in 2020. Here's the actual article I found. I'll include this for you the neuro weapon side to the COVID-19 illusion. And I actually, I actually follow up on this and show more videos with him after this episode, but this is the one that stands out. So what he's saying is that they're in, in, you know, you take him as you will, maybe he's making it up, but it's, it seems likely that he's based on everything we've discussed and how he's been talking about this for years that in, in 2020, they're actively looking for ways to utilize this, which in my mind tells me they have for a long time now. So just realize we're at a point now where all this isn't re real provable tech that there's plenty of evidence that's been deployed in many ways in the world. And here he is on the record saying they're looking for ways to integrate this into their. I mean, how do we dismiss this topic? How is this not a gigantic focal point for everybody? In addition to the other things that are happening that are also important. But my God, here's the next video. And. It's not just a question of using neuroimaging and or neurogenetics to depict what's going on in the brains, literally from the genes to the level of its structure, to the expression of its functions. But if I can drift into what appears to be bellicose or military terminology, but to target those things, targets, targets to affect those things, developing improved means and much more stereospecific approaches to 
accessing the brain, not crudely, but ever more creatively. Not just highly invasively, increasingly non-invasive, utilizing other forms of technology and engineering, such as nanoparticulate matter that we can then create into sensors and transmitters that can be inhaled, ingested, rubbed on, that can then be migrated into the brain to form vast arrays of sensors and transmitters to be able to read information from the living brain and write information into the living brain in real time remotely. There it is. This is a current project of the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency here in the United States called NCUBED, Next Generation Non-Invasive Neuromodulation. But wait a minute. If what we're doing is literally, literally taking information, data from the living brain, extracting it in real time, interpreting it, and in those interpretations, imbuing those data with meaning, that's a literal definition for reading. We're reading the functions of the brain, which we call mind. That's mind reading. Because if, in fact, that same technology that allows us to literally read the mind by scanning and interpreting the data we get from the structures and functions of the brain, and the inverse of that is that we can then write into the living brain, that's mind control. We love to think that one of the things that we always do with these types of data are aim them towards the good. Oh, obviously not. Isn't that, I mean, th this is terrifying stuff. This is, this is real active technology. And this is a man who's working with DARPA, NATO, the military, the government telling you that not only are they actively in 2020 looking for ways to, to apply this, which again, in my mind means it's already being done, but telling you that that's ex that, that the level to which it, it's, a, it's possible. The nanotechnology breathing it in, which could then ultimately be used to manipulate you in exactly the way that we just outlined. I'm not trying to tell people that I know for a fact it's happening. What I'm telling you is that it's real. Certainly could be, but is real. And I don't know why that's not terrifying. And I think that it's what's important about this is I, I believe that this is something that is actively happening, my personal opinion, and that, that ultimately we need to apply the way we think, the way of that, that reality or that hypothetical possibility to what we're seeing today. Asking whether we're, we're seeing mass manipulation events because of things like this. And it's a very difficult conversation because I, it's, I don't know how we it's think about trying to apply to, to open somebody's mind to something like this that is barely willing to consider that the government manipulated January 6th or, you know, lied about the COVID shots. I mean, think about that. Now, see, this is what I, this is one of the, uh, Orwell sent me this, N3 program. Battlet Neuro Team advances to phase two of DARPA N3 program. December 15th, 2020. All right, so right in the beginning of the COVID illusion. It says the program is designed for teams around the country to develop, and this is DARPA, in case you missed that. Well, it's Battlet, but this is a DARPA program. <clears throat> designed for teams around the country to develop a, it's right there, by the way. To develop a high-performance, bi-directional brain-computer interface for non-invasive clinical applications. Now, of course, what they mean by non-invasive is not surgery. Of course, it's wildly invasive when you understand what they're doing, but they just mean there's no surgical manipulation. It's being done in nanotechnology, 
which by the or you know neurotechnology or way, just ways that are not invasive in the sense of surgery. It says an interface called brainstorms, brain system to transmit or receive magnetic signals. It employs magno, magnetoelectronic nanotransducers localized in neural tissue for the uh, brain computer interface application. One of the key, uh, what was it, the one of the key magnetoelectronic nanotransducers attri attributes attributes are their incredibly small size. Thousands of these nano this nanotech nanomotes can fit across the width of a human hair. Hear that again. This is 2020. Thousands of these little nanotech pieces can fit across the width of one human hair. So this is the point about getting into the size of a virus, the size of a cell. Thousands across the width of a hair in 2020. Now, the I, I, it says MENTs. Again, they're the uh, magnoelectronic nanotransducers. I'm just going to say nanotechnology. The nanotech are first injected into the circulatory system. This is my point I was saying before and then guided with a magnet to the targeted area of the brain. Okay, so here, this is an important connective piece. <clears throat> they already understand, and look, in this case, they're using magnogenetics, but understand, they are. this is where I show the overlap of the work. They found ways that work in other, the, the optogenetics, the radiogenetics, it depends on how they want to utilize it and what works best in the circumstance or what kind of nanotech they use. The point is, they can inject this into your arm, Right? And then using their outside technology, guide it to where they want it to go. So this gets into the point from before. It doesn't have to be a syringe into your brain to sprinkle the nanomotes in your brain. It can be injected in your shoulder. And then through outside technology, guided to where they want that to go. Is this what the 5G, 6G application is? Maybe. These are not, re these are not outside the realm of possibility. It says, our current data suggests that we can non-surgically introduce the nanotech into the brain for subsequent bidirectional neural interfacing. All right, as long as they get it into your circulatory system, they can use this tech to guide it where they want it to go, in your brain. It says, in phase one, they demonstrated the main physics of the nanotech, i.e. two-way conversion of magnetic to electric field energy to control contactless inactivation of neurons. In phase two, they will develop a next generation MENT, the nanotech, to achieve faultless multi-channel performance. And it says, <clears throat> if work progresses to the third phase, which I guarantee they probably already did when they wrote this, or at least have since 2020, the Battlelet team would implant implement a regulatory strategy developed with the FDA, of course, in phase two, in order to support future human subject testing. 2020. All I'm hypothetically saying is that very well could have been what they did. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's interestingly overlapped with a thousand different ways. As somebody says in the chat, maybe that's why everyone's ha you know has pneumonia or they're, why they're having seizures and brain bleed. Exactly. There's all these very alarming overlaps. And for the first time, I think in everybody's experience, you have people at a mass kind of ubiquitous scale going, we're baffled. We're totally confused why it's causing these very weird ALS brain disease, you know, prions disease overlaps, right? We're totally confused about why it's causing all the things that in the original work, we found out that it was doing, right? They're the same overlaps, guys, the same stuff with what they're talking about in the smart dust internal brain surveillance concept and the 
issues they bumped up against were the same kind of things we saw happening to people during the COVID-19 baffling problems. Just one of the overlaps, but still very well could just be a coincidence. Now, let's step over into a conversation about the malaria aspect of what's currently happening today. Now, you might have seen this. Really bothered me, in fact. WHO says, hey, it's official. They've now introduced their RTSS malaria vaccine, which is a platform protein-based vaccine, just like the other ones we're discussing, into its expanded vaccination program following a four-dose schedule. In fact, it's a three-dose schedule with fourth recommended. How in the world that's become the norm is beyond me. But here's baby Daniela getting the first to be vaccinated. It always bothers me to see that tiny little thing. Okay, so let me show you what the very well can be completely unconnected. This is jet. Now, first of all, I just think this is important to, to discuss for the for the obvious surface level reasons. But keeping this in mind over what we just discussed, we just discussed, whether that's the mass deployment of some kind of injection during the stated false emergency, like the COVID-19 illusion, whether it is a push around something like monkeypox, it just gets a small subset of group, you know, or, or this kind of mass deployment in a worldwide scale around something like malaria, which is where this is going. Just want you to think about this because we don't truly understand or know, as we saw during COVID-19 or any other example, going back to the swine flu examples where they just swapped them out at the last second. We've been lied to so many times, and it's not like a whoopsie, we stripped and made the wrong thing. It's where they deliberately give you the thing they know they didn't test the right way. Why would they do that? Why is nobody ever held accountable? The same thing happened during COVID-19, right? That's the point. So first of all, let's go into the interesting overlap of malaria and why I think this is a controlled manipulation like so many others we've seen before. This is, first of all, going back to 2022. <clears throat> a genetically engineered, this is the, the specific way this is aimed at, or what it's aimed at, Plasmodium falciparum, which is a specific strain of malaria, they say. Parasite vaccine provides protection from controlled human malaria infection. Just want to show you what this is. This is what they're, this is what they're ultimately working on in 2022, which I believe became what they're deploying right here. And it says, genetically engineered live, which is interesting. So we do still have the live overlap. Plasmodium falciparum spor uh, sporozoites uh, constitute a potential platform for creating consistently attenuated, genetically defined whole parasite vaccine against malaria through targeted gene deletions. It's all about the gene genetic therapy now, which is something. I mean, it's, it's, it, nobody wants that. Nobody agrees with that. It's just happening. But that's what we're at, right? So that's what this became. So I just want you to think about the platform, the same kind of concept. Now, here's what they're giving. RTS, first, just straight from Wikipedia. Trade, the trade name is uh, Mosquerix, Mosquerix, 
<clears throat> is a recombinant protein-based malaria vaccine. So if you just don't remember what recombinant means, it means it, it's, it's a organism, a cell, or a virus in which genetic recombination has taken place. Material produced by genetic engineering. Just want to make sure we see that, understand that. That's what all these are now. I don't know why that just became the norm, especially since it's been even, I guess, certain many times, Fauci writes an article about how the whole thing failed and we just keep pushing forward. That shows you that it's not about what they tell you it's about, at the very least. As of April 2022, that's the one That's when we're talking about, the study right here, 2022. The vaccine has been given to 1 million children. With millions more doses to be provided as the vaccine's production expands. So it's already out there being used. 18 million doses apparently have been allocated for this year through 2025. Like, so th- it's just, it's funny how these things were all, we always were taught about, you know, being immunized. Nowadays, it's just about getting your dose every week or every month or every year, or whatever it is, because that's how it works. Apparently it wanes and you get more. And so what happened? Where, how did we shift out of actually being here? You got chicken pox. Now you have immunity, right? Here's a shot. Now you don't have it anymore. That's at least how they pretended it all worked. Now we just jump into this whole forward field where it's just, you know, you need four shots and you come back, get the next one every year. It's like, what in the hell? Especially since as we get into this is alarming for many reasons. And it's, I'm starting, I mean, not starting to believe I've always been skeptical about again, the intent behind these things, but my God, I'm starting to see they're all equally in the sense that, you know, a lot of people are going to go, yeah, duh, but not, they all fail in the same ways that they all are, have the same weaknesses with the same. And I'll show you what I mean, which, which as I've said for a long time, makes you wonder that they've been lied to about everything about this from day one, as I've said many times, but I'm, we should wonder that, question that. It requires at least three doses in infants by age two. <laughs> Add to the gigantic list, which they don't test alongside anything else, with a fourth dose extending for protection for another one to two years. The vaccine reduces hospital admissions from severe malaria around 30%. Reduces do- toddler deaths by 15%. Well, I'll tell you what, if all you're claiming to get is a 30% reduction, which means that everyone still gets sick and they go, well, you're not 30%. Love how that works a 30% reduction of severe malaria. So that means pretty much everyone gets sick anyway. You just don't get as sick. How do we even know that's actually functioning? My point though, is if it's then 30% reduction in severe and reduces toddler specific deaths by only 15%, it damn well better be safe as hell, but it's not. So you're getting a minor reduction, which I mean, a 15% reduction in deaths shouldn't be called minor, but it's it's a almost meaningless number when you don't really know what ultimately would have happened without it. It's the same game during COVID. My point, though, is with those kind of menial numbers for what we're used to hearing, it should be perfectly safe, but it's not. Here's what it says. This is from 2020. Musquirix. It says, and I just, I almost can't believe this, but I shouldn't be surprised anymore. Malaria vaccines are classified. Again, just, yeah, I already showed you. That's, it's the exact name. That's what we're talking about. Same brand name in general. Malaria vaccines are classified by the parasite development stage targeted. Pre-erythrocytic vaccines, blood stage vaccines, and transmission blocking vaccines. Some vaccines may target multiple development stages. And I do, oh wait. Oh man, hold on. I got the wrong spot. So earlier it disappeared on me. And then uh, I had to look at it again. Hold on. Make sure I got the right spot. Shoot. Here it is. With regard, that's what it is. Hold on a sec. I don't know how I got the wrong spot. 
this one. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Don't know how I did that. Okay. With regard to vaccine safety. All right. And I started reading it too. I'm like, this is, we'll keep going. <laughs> the R, the RTSS is what the name one. It's just, it's the main name or the different names they have for it. The profile is similar to other routine vaccines given to children, except for an increased risk of febrile seizures. Now you read into this, the whole point is they're soup. They're not dangerous and it's a minor thing. And you know, but you know, when you have a seizure, especially as a young child or anybody, it's not something that's healthy for you. It's obviously, and apparently you kill just like a monumental amount of brain cells when you have a seizure. Point is that you're at increased risk of seizures. First of all, that's not even the main point. So is that worth it? You can, you, they claim malaria is that dangerous. Well, the point is you still effing get malaria. You just get 30% reduction in severe. And you, and I guess you apparently reduce the possibility of death by 15% and get an increased risk of seizures, but it gets worse. Children aged five to 17 months at first vaccination were more likely than controls to have these seizures within seven days, especially the third dose. So it means that every single dose, you have this seven days of increased seizures. This was, there's no way that seems safe to me, but it says this effect was transient and all affected children recovered after seven days, whatever that means. Safety surveillance also suggested, this is crazy to me, a potential increased risk of meningitis and cerebral malaria in the same age group that you're aiming this at to keep safe. Cerebral malaria. For, this is a study in Kenyan, in Kenyan, uh, Kenyan children with WHO stage one or two HIV found that this vaccine was well tolerated in this population that they can be safely included, which I, I wasn't sure why they said that at first, but I looked into it. And the point is apparently it's a, it's a African study where HIV is more prevalent and they didn't screen for HIV, I guess. And then in the process found out that a lot of people had HIV in the study, which is very weird. And then just acted like it was safe, but maybe that's not what happened. But that's not the main point. Cerebral malaria. So you're not only get an increased risk of seizures seven days after every shot, and there's four of them, you get an increased risk of meningitis, which is not a small thing, and cerebral malaria. So you're getting a shot for malaria, but you get an increased risk of cerebral malaria. Well, what is that? Turns out it's the worst possible thing in this discussion. Cerebral malaria is the most severe pathology caused by malaria parasite, specifically what they're aiming it for. I mean, is that how is this even real? You have an increased risk of the most alarming part of what you're trying to protect yourself from for for a potential reduction in severe hospitalization or death. Indicated involvement in the blood-brain barrier in cerebral malaria. Again, I find this hard not to see the connection to other possibilities. What is this? Ra a rupture of the blood-brain barrier occurs and may lead to hemorrhages resulting in neurological alterations. This is what de they deal with in cerebral malaria on top of all the other. So this is a very serious thing. My mindset is, you're so you're giving this to a five-month-old baby, not because they are in, you know, that they may end up getting something when you're going to give them an increased risk of the worst part of this. And it is still a live virus. So it comes along with the concept of potential shedding. I just think that's ridiculous. And meningitis. So let's go through the actual product. Here it is, Moscarix. Name of the product. This is from the ema.eu website. Here's what it says. Therapeutic indication. It says Moscarix is indicated for active immunization of children aged six weeks up to 17 months against malaria caused by specifically this and apparently hepatitis B. I don't, I don't even know why that's just like out of, it, it, I think it's just, I think it does explain there's some overlap there. Same with the HIV point. I feel like they just, they just, 
had some overlap there and argued it has an effect, but the point is it's not even tailored for that. So my point is always, you realize that this is not, this is only one variation of what they say is malaria. So it's, 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 why is that the only thing? And why does that make sense to give them something for only one when apparently there's more than one circular? Like it just, it's doesn't, I just never believe this actually makes sense. The more and the more this goes forward, it just, it, there's just not a bunch of enough logic here. And I, I honestly think that none of this should be given at this point based on all the things we're seeing. This one is under, oh, and this is just showing you a fourth dose is recommended 18 months after the third dose, which seems strange. But here's what it says. It says, Moscarix does not provide complete protection against malaria caused by the thing that they're aiming it at. So it doesn't work. Got it. I mean, so obviously the point is the only, if you get a 30% reduction in, in severe problems and maybe it may be on both 50% for children of death, the point is, yeah, it doesn't provide complete protection. So you, you not, you're not capable of making this do like, I, I just don't understand how this makes any sense based on the logic of the theoretical application of this going back as far as we know, as, as long as we've ever been told about vaccination technology, that is his protection against, again, specifically the P falciparum malaria, the one malaria strain wanes over time and vaccination may delay the acquisition of natural immunity. So, I mean, you really, it's, this is almost comical. So you're telling us, first of all, that it doesn't work in, in, in general, and then it will wane, that small effect will wane. And that comes along with risk of seizures, which definitely hurt you as much as they pretend it's a minor thing, sort of like minor myocarditis, but also an increased risk more than average people. So without ever, more than ever, ta- if you didn't take it at all, my meningitis and cerebral malaria for for five month old babies. And on top of that, it delays you able being able to get natural immunity. What that shows you is just like the other platform based protein based injections, it destroys your immune system because if your body's rejecting immunity from whatever they're giving you, either the thing's not working or your body is being hurt by this because immunity, whether via what they claim is through injection or naturally. It's not something that just disappears. Now, obviously, there's discussions about variations and so on, but my point is natural immunity, just like with the chicken pox conversation, has always been there. What they're telling you here is that if you take the injection that barely works, that increases your risk of other things, it also delays the possibility of even ever being immune. My God, this is not what you should be giving your children, obviously. Now it says Mosterix will, will not protect against malaria caused by pathogens other than this one. That's what I was trying to say before. So how look up how many variations of malaria there are. Do you know this is the one that's currently circulating? Why are you giving this to, to children who aren't even in risk of this at the moment? Or maybe they are, but how do you know it's that one? You're giving, like, I could, if you want to try to argue that it was necessary, then it damn well better give them some protection from that at the very least. It doesn't. It increases risk of other things and, and in a minor way reduces the most severe aspects of it. And then you might bump up against a different malaria. This just is not, like, even if you believe this has the best of intentions, this is not working. You're failing at this is what's happening. Or there's something else going on here, which is kind of the larger point. No animal studies were performed with respect to reproductive toxicity. Of course not. Now, obviously we're talking about children here, but you have to realize that there are very clear effects on reproductive ability, even if you're a child. So they never tested for that. That makes no sense to me. And here's the best part. 
This is the same thing we saw during the COVID-19 FDA manipulation. No correlate of protection has currently been established. So you're claiming a 30% reduction over here, but you know what that means? They see a certain level of antibody response, which they then deduce achieves this level of effectiveness. That's not the same thing, just like with the COVID injection. All he started saying was, we saw a clinical response. Well, as people and many doctors ask, well, how do you know that's the right response? I can make you, I can give you an antibody response to anything. How do you know it's going to affect you properly with what you're dealing with? Right? So they're, they they can't even prove the response they're getting, in fact, actually correlates with protection against this problem. But it's, you know, one little sentence and nobody pays attention. My God, how ridiculous. And then you could take a look at the graph of what they're claiming is the vaccine effectiveness. 33%, 37, 32, 17, 15, 20. There's nothing over 37%. And how much you want to bet that's relative risk reduction? I can't, it doesn't say it anywhere in there, so I don't know. In any case, this is what you're giving people now. I, that just the, the quick dive on that to show you that this is absurd. It's dangerous and it's clearly not even properly aimed at what, who knows why you would give this to your children blows my mind. Why? I have no idea. But then the, my thing is to stand back and go, okay, well, why would they put this out if it's this ridiculous? If it's clearly ineffective, it's clearly harmful. And now all of a sudden, is there a bigger malaria problem now? Maybe I didn't hear about that. Just the same thing with the Ebola things. All of a sudden, I'll mention it at the end. Like, why did they just pop up out of nowhere? There's no logical reason for it to be now, unless the experimentation is continuing. That's just a possibility. This is why we should talk about how obvious this is. Like, this is one of those things that's almost comical. Like, people should make this is it's it's possible that there's just a bunch of coincidences and overlaps, but to see continually specifically Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but anybody investing in the deployment of not only next generation malaria vaccines, but but putting out GM mosquitoes to fight malaria, or even more so investing in work to make those mosquitoes vaccinate you against malaria. And then in the same exact timeframes, seeing these outbreaks right before they push the idea that we should pay attention to it, just like with COVID-19, it becomes a little bit, it's, it's cartoonish. This is 2008. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation announced $168 million to develop next-generation malaria vaccines. Okay, so people are going to say that he cares and he wants to make you a vaccine. Okay, you could think that if you want. I disagree. But either way, this is 2008. Here's 2010. Already, by the way, and this is what I want you to see, is this was a tough, this is not, if in 2010, when this is, two years after Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation invests $168 million in a next-generation malaria vaccine, they're talking about, Flying vaccinators, a transgenic mosquito that delivers a vaccine while feeding on you. 2010. So they succeeded in doing this then, probably before that. And it, is it being used? It, what was the point of the study? We figured it out. Okay, let's just pretend like it was just for scientific purposes. And we get, we can do it. We shelved it. We put it away. Okay, I disagree. Hypothetically, though. So here, just jump forward to 2017. Right, 2010, seven years later, mosquitoes are the new syringe. Well, yeah, the, you already did it. It already was successful. It already happened. So why is it being reframed as some kind of hypothetical new? This is what we should be asking. It's not a new thing. It's already successfully been accomplished. So this is about setting it in your mind again. Or, I mean, I'm not saying we know that, that in this case, Science Seattle Times is aware that they're doing that. My point is, it says very clearly, mosquitoes are the new syringe. A Seattle lab nibbles at malaria vaccine, literally using mosquitoes 
to vaccinate. That's what this is about. Okay, so 2017, same thing. Flying syringes could detect emerging infectious diseases. Why is it hypothetical? It says the discovery has significant implications for our. Now, in this case, they're talking about specifically using these flying syringes that do exist to detect emerging diseases. So they're going a step past this already, as if this is already an application. And we're saying, let's utilize these to test for other things. Now, how would you do that? You can read about this. There's a whole relay of information there that seems a little bit crazy. Now, we talked about, Derek wrote this in 2017. Genetically engineered mosquitoes to be released in 20 states. You can read about this. This is the same discussion of uh, Oxitec, the overlap. My point, though, is that this is more than just a couple of states, guys. As much as that, even we're going to laugh today about how ridiculous the cover-up is acting like there's no such thing as we can quite literally prove that it's been released all over the country a long time ago. I'll show you right now. This gets into 2018. This is, again, the chronological development of this. This is Labiotech, Gates Foundation, and Oxitec fight malaria with genetically modified mosquitoes. So we're still at the point now of them saying we're just we're making mosquitoes and working on injections that are both meant to fight malaria, right? In this case, it's about using mosquitoes to kill other mosquitoes that might be the ones relaying it. That's at least what's stated. And then in the background, there are people going, hey, we can use mosquitoes as vaccinators all the way back then. This is 2018. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Oxitec, same group. This is 2018. Bill and Melinda Gates are giving $4 million to help scientists engineer a malaria-killing mosquito. So just realize, this is not new. But every time I talk about it, it's like some new, novel thing that they've been doing for eight years. Or more. It's 2008. See my point? I love how it's just this always floating, this new idea about the new thing that's already been going on. This is all about propaganda. This is 2019. And this is where we get into the Mavers very public overlap. It says more than a flying syringe using functional traits in vector-borne disease research. These are, and if you can go back all the way to 2008, or rather 2010, even further, clearly it's already happening. Now we get into the overlap of the release discussion that comes into the playing news story of how it popped up in the U.S. for the first time. This is CNN. 750 million genetically engineered mosquitoes approved for release in the Florida Keys, which is the same discussion, the same exact mosquito and Oxitec and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So very much did release millions of them in, the, in Florida. That's very clear. This is 2022. Generation, and, and just in case it's, not very clear already, it was released all over the country even before that. This is 2022 genetic, or excuse me, generation of transgenic mosquitoes, that's the point about genetically modified, harboring a replication-restricted virus. Live micro-vaccines are designed to elicit strong cellular and antibody responses without developing the symptoms of the disease. And that and and the and these are effective in preventing infectious diseases, or can be. Point is that they also shed, as we've discussed, and we'll show you again about the we'll mention about the Ebola point. But that's what we're talking about: the flu, the rest of them. That's that's a very real concept, and that's what the problem with those live vaccines are. A flying vaccinator, also known as a flying syringe, is a conceptual genetically engineered hematogen. Uh, how would you say that actually? Hema hemato. Fegus insect 
that is used to deliver vaccines such as an antigen from a parasite produced in mosquito saliva. Flying vaccinator may potentially load a live attenuated microbe with an appropriate mechanism for sustaining its constitutive proliferation of an insect. These data suggested the possibility of deploying a valuable tool for delivering genetically attenuated virus vaccines via mosquito saliva, although efficient replication restricted virus production is required. Okay, well, already been done back in 2010. My point here is that I think they're simply just overlapping this with the genetically attenuated virus part of it, right? So here we're just talking about delivering, you know, a specific vaccine via feeding, but it's the same concept, a transgenic mosquito. But I think now we're getting into the idea of the genetically modified aspects of what they're delivering. In any case, the point is, this point, it's old. It's been going on a long time. This point, what, 12 years and even before then. So this is 2022 in March. The EPA okays plan to release 2.4 million more genetically modified mosquitoes. Oxitec, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in Florida and California. Even though it's already happened, right? Before this, just remember California. Now here is 2022 in September. So I just think about the, the kind of the volley back and forth of this, right? So they release all these genetically, genetically modified mosquitoes. And I'll get into at the end here, the main point about how this is, uh, where was it? Right here. Not working. At the, a very kind way to put that. In fact, it's provable that they know that what they're using, in fact, makes it worse, right? The, the ones that are supposed to, it, it basically is the reverse problem. They're making this problem worse using these mosquitoes. And it's proven in their own documentation. They know that nobody cares and it keeps happening. So is it an attempt to stop it or is it an attempt to make the problem to justify the action? Because here in 2022, a box of 200 mosquitoes did the vaccinating in this malaria trial. Okay, so it's this recycling of the same, aha, eureka, we did the thing that we achieved 10 years ago. And same thing here, but specifically tailored towards malaria. Here is 2023, June. Novavax partners with the Gates Foundation in efforts to develop malaria and tuberculosis shots. The American vaccine maker Novavax announced plans to share its powerful vaccine technology with the Bill and Melinda Gates Medical Research Institute, a nonprofit biotech spun out from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which could help develop shots for major health threats like malaria. So at the same time as they're working on a specific vaccine for malaria and working on GM mosquitoes that they've already released to stop malaria. They're working on vaccinate va using those same mosquitoes to vaccinate people all simultaneously. So it's like you've cornered the market and you're utilizing every aspect of it that you can then tweak to make it work the way you want or not. I'm just simply pointing out that if you do have control over these different angles of it, you could release what you want, cause the problem, put out what you need. I mean, there's a perfect cycle right there. I think it's quite obvious this is possible. Now, this is interesting in June. So here we are in June 5th, 2023, talking about partnering to make these Valeria shots. A few days later, they connect with this person. They say, they, they, this is Bill Gates discussing this. Make me care about malaria. Bill and the Gates Foundation. It's interesting, right? So at this point, no one's really concerned about it. We haven't, it hasn't been a problem for a very long time. In June 7th, 2023, he goes, let me tell you why you should care about malaria. And then boom, malaria cases in Florida, Texas, the first in the U.S. spread in 20 years in June 27th. What a coincidence. Sort of like he was psychic about COVID-19, right? Or is there more going on here? 
You can decide for yourself. But the interesting, the almost hilarious part about it is where do they release these? Florida, Texas, then and largely Florida, Texas, California. And then all of a sudden, and again, that's the main point because that is what's happening here. And before we get to that, let me read this part of it. The Los Angeles Times. And this just shows you how ridiculous it is. It's October 6th. Okay, so this is, a, this is it's all on the record they're talking about use, using all these things from flying vaccinators or is it, you know, the ones that say that exactly? This one, the study on it. New, new syringe, right? It's all very public. And the fact that they have very publicly released these things in California, right? So this is a guy on October 6th trying discussing the, the it, to, basically fighting for a mosquito control board, knowing that they're spraying and using these things they don't want them to. Here's how it's titled LA Times. Flying syringes and conspiracies. Oh, oh it's a conspiracy, is it? This is the don't realize this is how stupid most of the people in the corporate media are. They're very smug about how dumb they are. They don't see it that way, but they are pushing back against what they've been told are conspiracy theories. Well, it's it's as simple as going flying vaccinators and finding real-time studies that show you that it's happening and has even been tested in real-time situations, which we'll talk about. An experimental permit. It says experimental use permit amended to allow releases of these these specific Bill Gates and Oxitec funded mosquitoes in Florida and California, which shows you beyond question that it's already been granted and they're amending this permit. And at the time, this permit, I think, removes the part of the aspect of California, but it proves that it had already been deployed in California. Right. So here's what it says right out of the gate. As soon as John Knight applied for a seat on the Shasta Mosquito and Vector Control District Board, the conspiracy theory started flying. How ignorant. Knight, who owns a hydroponic gardening supply, so he must be a pothead, right? That's clearly the whole article is seeded with these like it's just it's very childish, but spoke darkly about his suspicion that Bill Gates had helped unleash genetically modified mosquitoes in California. Period. You mean a very provable fact? Yeah. It's very simple to prove that they funded them and they did release them in California. And he warned about flying syringes that will mass vaccinate the population. It's a very real thing, guys. I mean, that think about how dumb it is that we're talking about this in a like in a scathing way about a conspiracy theory when this is provable scientific research. That is the corporate media in a nutshell. And they don't even realize how dumb they are. They're they're laughing about this guy. And it's bad. You read this article, it's from everything from MAGA conspiracy in January 6th. And it's, just, it's really stupid. But here are the points that matter for today's discussion. Knight's appointment comes amid a boom in the mosquito population after California's record-breaking rainfall. Yeah, you mean the place where they're deploying GM mosquitoes to stop the bad mosquitoes and they weirdly have an explosion of mosquitoes? Because it's not working. And it's easy to prove, as we'll go over next. Down here, it says, later in that meeting, Knight, who has warned about weaponized bugs, which again, is a very real reality. Now, I'm not saying, there's a lot of ways you could hear that and make it sound stupid, but there is actually things that are utilized in the real, and we've talked about ticks, we've talked about, um, what was the other aspect? I mean, these are DARPA military patents and technology you can look up for yourself, where they did very much work on bugs and utilizing bugs to carry biological weapons, and yet they just laugh this off because they don't know what they're doing. But it says, and spoke ominously about the threats posed by Bill Gates programs and claimed erroneously that British biotech company Oxitec has released genetically modified mosquitoes in several Cal California counties. This is the LA Times 
who is smugly dismissing an easily proven fact because they were probably told to. How pathetic. I just showed you both from NBC right there in California, but a little literal permit for the exact ones he's discussing in California. Somebody should call them and make fun of them or let them know how dumb they probably don't care. It says Kevin Gorman, the chief development officer for Oxitec, get this, told the Times, and this is my point, that the only place in the U.S. where it had released mosquitoes is the Florida Keys, where the government approval, it had launched the insects for the last three years. None, he said, have been released in California. Okay, so the L.A. Times, because they're so good at their job, blindly took what Oxitec said and wrote it down as fact, despite the fact that you can prove on regulations.gov that they've not only done it, but amended the permit to release them in California and Florida. Here's NBC again telling you that the EPA even approved it for sites in California, but because Oxitec said, and because all you are is a gate, a gatekeeper manager of information, you just blindly cite it. That is a corporate media point. I mean, every one of them. It says in a statement, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation said that although it supports Oxitec anti-malaria work abroad, it does not fund any work involving mosquitoes in the United States. Again, a blatant and provable lie. They're funding Oxitec. It's right there. September 2020. The work they're doing is being done in the United States. I don't care if what they talk about is the location in UK and where it's they're funding the work that then gets applied in the United States because this guy's is the same thing. Look it up for yourself. There's only the one version of the uh, the Aedes aegypti mosquito they're working on is the OX5034. So you just they're they're playing games and LA Times is happy to tow that line. Now it says he opposes widespread spraying of chemicals for mosquito abatement, which I do too, which they make fun of. The point is though the spraying is another aspect of it that we go over in the same show that I discuss here. I think I have a link to the show somewhere in there. But the point in this, I think it's this one. Maybe not. Yeah, right here which I have up here actually, by the way, but the point is it's an overlap. Not only do the mosquitoes they release to stop it, increase the problem and cause all sorts of other problems as well, but the actual spraying is the same problem because it's ultimately shown to hurt only specific types, which actually makes the other one stronger, which is the whole point. They've sprayed, and we went over this in this show where they were spraying in New York City. You don't get a choice. You're spraying it down the middle of the street. And the history shows that it's only made it worse. And it hurts other animals and other insects. It's crazy. And it's provable, peer-reviewed science. But LA Times says you're a dumb conspiracy theorist. So shut up and go back to sleep. (laughs) It's embarrassing. Now it says the fact that he's been swayed by these conspiracy theories, evidently for years, doesn't give me much hope for what's going to happen on the board says one of these mindless followers that have no idea what they're talking about. Brady, who lives a few miles east of Reading, said she just wants the mosquito threat to be taken seriously with a scientific-based approach. Yeah, so do I. Except the problem is what you're using is an anti-science approach that ignores the byproducts and the lack of effectiveness of what you keep spraying. So the point is, you either don't care it doesn't work, not you, but the person, the government, or you're doing it for a different reason. It's been going on for years, and the data is clear. But as Brady said, she recently saw a county worker driving down her road, fogging for mosquitoes. Normally, you'd be a little concerned about the chemical. Yeah, you think? <laughs> but we don't care, apparently? My God. So f- four, th- three basic obvious lies in an article riddled with manipulations and lies just about this mosquito point. Why? Because he's a far right whatever they wanted to be. 
even they even talk about how he put up a an okay symbol. <laughs> and what's even worse about it, they cropped out a picture that the point was they called him a racist because he held up the okay symbol, right? It turns out they cropped that picture to hide the black person standing right next to him holding the same sign. That, and then even then go on to make him say he's more racist because he argues because he did next to a black person. That he, I mean, it's just like, my God, these people are desperate to maintain their own political biases. It's pathetic. Now, here's what I wrote about this, just in case you want to read more on this. It says, are you aware? Are you aware that the GM mosquitoes released in California and Florida and elsewhere are an ongoing experiment? You should think about that if you live in those places. Are you okay with that? Considering that there is provable DNA contamination, watch this show because there's so much in this, and that and that between 3 and 15% do not die as designed, but in fact get stronger, reproduce, and the cycle continues. Here's the actual, again, experimental use permit for this exact use. So it's very much happening. And this is inside the conversation itself. Now, this is from the study talking about it. Study authors, quote, collected mosquitoes from several neighborhoods before, during, and in the three months after the trial. This is about using these GM mosquitoes that Bill Gates funded and Oxitec specifically made. They estimate between 5 and 60% of the insects had some DNA from Oxitec, the strain that they used, in their genome. As much as 13% of the genome in one case, which means provably they're not dying. They're, they're in fact spreading the very thing amongst these other mosquitoes, which is the whole problem. So you've actually created a larger problem, which again, might very well be by design. As I just went over this in my recent show, interesting that we see DNA contamination in the COVID jabs, as well as DNA contamination in the GM mosquitoes, both utilizing the same genetic manipulation technology. Dual use tech. Since the science article suddenly added a paywall, oh, I included that. All right. And here is the follow up to this. This is the other important part. Per an Oxytech, which you can look at right here, Oxytech confidential information document released by FOIOquest, they knew very early that 15% of the mosquitoes actually did not die, but got stronger, which they then spread to their offspring that they are not supposed to be able to have. And you can see it as it loads. Highlighted by the difference in results between the laboratory and collaborator, they were getting 15% survival. They knew this in the beginning. Not only did they hide this from everybody, they just kept going forward anyway. Of course, now it says bad gateway. Of course it does. So I'm guessing they deleted this in the Wayback Machine too. In any case, the link is there. I'm sure you can find it from there. I've discussed this in the show. It's all live information it's right in here. So all of that clearly is my concern is what the hell else is happening here? Are they simply just manufacturing the problem they then profit from? Or is this another in a long line of massive experiments in regard to the first part we talked about? Now, here is the Defender from August 2023. EPA authorizes release of 2 billion more GML mosquitoes. This is on top of everything else we just talked about. So it's not even it's not even slowing down. It's getting stronger. And again, it talks about the genetically engineered mosquitoes created by Oxitec in Florida and Texas. In March 2022, the EPA granted them a two-year extension and to release additional mosquitoes in Florida as well as four counties in California. And so bringing this back to the point about they're giving these injections we just went over that are clearly not effective and very much can have severe problems based on everything we just talked about. Like, where is the real problem coming from? And is this about something more than protection? Simply the question that I really want people to begin to ask. Now, lastly, 
the weird discussion we just had about the Ebola aspect, right? Denver Health Medical Team receives an Ebola vaccine. That's a live Ebola vaccine that in the actual documentation we discuss in this show, it was the same one, by the way, Internet of Bio Nano Things, that shows you that it can shed 30% of the time. You're giving people an injection that can shed Ebola. On top of that, the fact that it's actually not a risk at this point, they're saying that, you know, there was a, something happened, but you know, months or a year ago. So we just decided to do it now. It doesn't make any sense. There's something else going on there. Now I'm not going to dive through that again. I went over this just recent show, but there's definitely something strange about this Ebola overlap or these different, and I simply just wonder whether these are different aspects of this, just rationalizing the step. But here is something to think about in the overlap. This is Robbie saying about the, the I, I don't agree even remotely with the framing is very partisan and it blinds people to their facts, but he's saying an illegal lab was found in California. It's, this is the one we've talked about many times with all these different things they claim. Now, I don't know why we take anything at face value from this entity in regard to the the government telling what they found or whatever, like it, it very, all of it could be a completely fabricated story. But of course, because it's used in a Republican partisan angle to make it about China trying to invade our country. Well, everything's at face value exactly the way it sounds, because that why can't we ask whether this was a CDC lab or, a, you know, a, a, an intelligence manipulation that is working with China, like Charles Lieber, like the U.S. government, like Israel, like all the rest of them that are overlapping this work, which is very obviously provable. Remember, this was a lab that was in some weird building that was had a hose coming out of the side of the wall, had electricity, had multiple massive freezers. It's, it's almost childish to think that, that obviously somebody knew. The county was aware electricity was being used. Clearly somebody knew that people were there and let that go. Now, it gets even more ridiculous. It's a, and again, the point was about they had Ebola. It says it was, a, it was run by a Chinese man, so our guests were told, and we blindly believe because it's a Republican talking point, who came here illegally. Of course, perfect for their, for their narratives. He was said he wants to defeat the American aggressor. I mean, doesn't this just all sound a little too convenient? And that he's going to run this lab that's shockingly, trans, like, very conspicuous, that everybody, like, you walk behind, see a hose coming out of the side of the wall in a building that no one's supposed to be in and is there for a very long time. Hardly, but it says he was said he wants to defeat the American aggressor. Sure. Fox News said a recent bipartisan congressional report determined that they had received significant financial payments from China. Oh, is that what Congress told you? Probably Congress involved with these same bio labs. They're, you know, I, I don't know either. My, my, my point is, it's funny that this is just stated as fact because that's what we're told. Aren't you supposed to be an independent reporter pushing back against these narratives? No, I guess not when it comes to Fox News. But it says, yet no charges have been filed. He says, here's where it gets even weirder. And again, no charges filed. Yeah. Now, of course, this is meant to be like, because Biden's protecting China, that's an easy blindness to the two-party paradigm. It's more likely because your government's involved with what's going on there. But yeah, certainly could just be that Biden secretly can work in China and it's all some big plan. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I just think it's kind of naive to just lean into what you think works for your partisan talking points. But it says, here's where it gets weirder. Even there were no... Excuse me. There were so many chemicals and dangerous biological agents, we're told, on site that hazmat contractors hired by the feds have loaded up over 800 containers to remove all of it from the warehouses in Reedley, California. Okay, so where's it all going? Are you think they're just going to throw it away? I guarantee it's being removed to their next location. That's how I would look at this. So they're investigating this, right? He says, well, the FBI has known about this for over a year, but they actually handed control back to the local officials in the area. 
Now, why would that why would that make your first instinct to be that this is some kind of a cover up, like what from FBI down to cover up for China? It's very odd that, that in and of itself that means that your government's involved, not just the Biden administration, but it says so. It says possible inter international terrorism is apparently a job for the local police, right? I mean, again. The only thing that makes this possible international anything is that you're claiming a Chinese person was involved. Just because it's a Chinese person does not mean he's from China or that he is relaying things with China. Certainly one of the possibilities. My, we've gone through this in depth. My thought is, my thought is that all of the evidence strongly points that this was something that was allowed to happen, that was done in this country, probably for another setup. I mean, it very well could be something like Mossad too, by the way but to, to carry out some kind of an act that would be then pointed at China or so on. But it says, so the FBI can focus on old ladies who may have gone to the Capitol on January 6th, right? It's more, you know, interesting. But it says not all, and it, what's funny is that, you know, the FBI under Trump was no different, but it's, it's just a partisanship. It's just, again, it eats logic. But it says not only the, that, but Fox News broke details that key parts of the Department of Homeland Security never got involved in the case. Again, exactly my point. He says, that's bad, right? Oh, I'm not done yet. What about the CDC? Last year, CDC microbiologists spent time in the lab and produced a report detailing everything in the warehouse, but they failed to actually test the vials. So we're told. Do you really think that makes sense? So now you've got the entire CDC, the FBI, Homeland Security, and apparently everybody. And, and why does that not apply to the whole of government? See my point? They either didn't test it or they knew. But it says the Fox News story reports, despite the probability that the unlabeled or coded vials contained additional unknown and dangerous pathogens, which, by the way, they're in control of. So they have them. The CDC officials refuse to take any further investigative steps. That, to me, sounds like everything we're discussing. They're simply going, nothing to see here. Look away because they're completely involved in this. It was, it all, it, again, it's my opinion. It also claims CDC officials failed to take meaningful action when presented with evidence that Ebola, classified at the highest level of concern, may have been present. Doesn't it seem to interestingly overlap with why suddenly this, like, there's something to that. The last thing in my mind is that China is secretly operating this out, but certainly one of the possibilities, right? Or Russia or somebody else. Like, it's certainly possible. I'm in no way immune to the possibility that these other countries would try to take action against the aggressor that the u.s government is but at the very least we need the evidence that really does back that up and to me everything about this points to your government actively creating the very problem they then point out to justify their actions now on top of all of it here is where i think we get further whether it's ebola or malaria or whatever the next push is where this is still happening this is from brazil a proposed, not done, but proposed Brazilian law that will imprison those who refuse vaccination. Still. Listen very well. The penalty is imprisonment from two to eight years plus fine if you refuse vaccination without just cause. The same penalty is incurred by anyone who creates, disseminates, or propagates by any means fake news regarding vaccines in the national immunization program or their effectiveness, uh, which in any way dissuades vaccination. Right now, I'm sure that my life is in danger. I'm not, I'm, I have no doubt about it. Hmm. CHD TV, 
So just just to see that there that's I mean, there are parts right now in the world where there that's the push is that you have to take what the government says. I mean, it's the same mindset of the United States government. They're just clearly, I think, on a, a worse footing right now because everybody's questioning it. Now, again, to end this mindset, the Internet of bio nano things is upon us. Right. So going back to the beginning of the conversation, talking about dust networks, helping build smart cities of the future 12 years ago or all the way back before that, another almost 10 years the, to the DARPA Mu chip or the, not Mu chip, but the DARPA, I forget the name you use, but the DARPA chip or the Hitachi Mu chip and these different points. And, you know, we're, we have a gap, a huge chasm between that time and where we are now and the level of technological advancement. And the discussion all the way through that of the internal biosurveillance, the overlap with COVID-19, the work on the nanotechnology that became the basis for the injection they used, and all these overlaps. I mean, I find it really hard not to see that this stuff, at the very least, is highly possible of being connected. And on top of that, the worst, the bigger concern is that they're very clearly discussing how to utilize this. We talked about the intra-bionets discussion. Right, the all this is internal manipulation. So again, going back to the one line from the DARPA N three program in 2020, if work progresses to the third phase, which I posit we're literally already lived through, they would implement a regulatory strategy. We work with the FDA, who's clearly a captured agency, in order to support future human subject testing with this exact technology. So just ask yourself whether that would happen. And of course, as I've always shown you. Should they decide to do that, they've already argued many times that they would do it in a covert way because compulsory moral bioenhancement, you just wouldn't understand. So it's certainly possible that's where we are. Now, whether you think that or not, guys, the real point is that it's obviously here. The technology is real. The application is real. It's already been deployed, clearly used in the world. In my point, in my, my mindset, it's already around us, just like glyphosate everywhere else. Not that they're even remotely connected, you know, maybe, but ultimately just that it's a ubiquitous concept and that I believe that it's already there. Now, how that gets utilized, what it can do, you know, 5G, 6G, what ultimately changes is, you know, that's the question. But what we... I mean, I just think we're at a point where we shouldn't be dismissing that this stuff is in real world application and we need to start applying that possibility to the way we see things going forward. Because I don't think we're going to get to a point where this is blatantly explained until it's already at a point where there's no going back, which I believe we're kind of already at. But either way, they're telling you it's coming. So I hope you can consider these things and not reflexively dismiss this as conspiracy theory. As I said before, I mean, I, my gut tells me that there is something to this, that this is, you know, that we're very ahead of this. And I think that this is already something that is actively being used. And that worries me quite a bit about the, the, and the, the deeper concepts, about not just, you know, monitoring, but influencing. As, as uh, Geo, Geo um, I forget his name now, the guy that we've mentioned many times, the neuro weapons guy, talks about the idea of actual control. As we've shown you the science for it, we went over the data in this show from peer-reviewed science, from the people involved with the COVID injections about using ferret nanoparticles to control the way you move and think and feel, but also other applications using magnogenetics and optogenetics to manipulate your neurons, to have you feel a certain way or feel certain emotions. Like, And this is real stuff. And then his point about how they are real-time discussing how they can utilize this. Now, I've played it earlier. I'll end with that same clip, I think. But 
you know, discussing how they're in 2020, they're already looking for ways to utilize this in the real world, which in my mind is always an example, is always indicative of the fact that that's already happened. So thank you for tuning in today and keep, um, thank you for keeping an open mind because I think a lot of the stuff that is actually happening is kind of hard to believe these days. If you'd like to support this platform, we definitely need your support. There's a lot of ways down below. As I've said many times, ultimately the best way to do it is support this platform is to go to our website, thelastamericanvagabond.com, sign up on the sidebar for the donation. You can make it recurring. Just do $1 a month. You'll never notice it. And it changes everything for us. Every so, you know, you get a hundred, a thousand more people. That's, that's a new person we can hire. Right? That's another project we can do. And thank you all for your amazing support on Derek's uh, upcoming work on the fluoride trial. He's our, we already got tickets and so on, and we're already working to get him on. You know, he's, he's going to be leaving pretty soon. So it's going to be something you can look forward to. It's going to be some great work. My point is the more you support us, the more we can grow, the more we can change, the more we can influence the discussion. So thank you for being here. Thank you for considering what I'm talking about and questioning all that we're getting into. As always, I love you all. Question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. This was commercially released 10 years ago. Um, it's a tiny computer, and it features data pro uh, processing, data storage, wireless comms, and it's probably as close to the true smart dust vision from the early DARPA days as we've come so far. They're designed to harvest energy from the environment around them and to communicate via a mesh network.